Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. And if you just read you, this is a test transmission. It opens a new and, I think, exciting chapter in the story of radio. This is going to be a service to provide a tremendous amount of information and satisfy a lot of different interests. I was always itching to shake it during a program. In the air, on the river and underground. We hope very much that uh, Derek can hear us. Can you hear us? From Resonance 104.4 and Social Broadcasts, this is Transmitter. I'm Lucia Scazzocchio, and for this season of Transmitter, I'll be dedicating the next few episodes to conversation. For the next hour, I'll be in conversation with Suzanne O'Connell, a landscape architect based in Dublin and co-founder of The Decorators, a multidisciplinary collective founded in London, but now more of an international practice, with their four founders now living in three different countries. Thank you, Lucia, for having me. Um, It's a great opportunity to take some time to think about these ideas. So, yeah, my practice with the decorators, we operated in London uh, for 10 years um, as a collective and still still working together, but in a a different capacity. we i my background i'm a landscape architect um landscape architecture is is about designing space and specifically my work was about actually working within city spaces a lot i found that most of my projects were in the in the urban space um so it was just always from the beginning always just interested in people and the social aspects of that you know what happens when people come together and what kind of spatial designs can work to support better interactions between people of difference in public space. Um, I went and studied in London in Narrative Environment, Central St. Martins, and that's where I met uh, my colleagues, Mariana Pastana, Carolina Casero and Xavi Larchfont, and we started working together um, just as a shared curiosity for, you know, how do you design interesting experiences? So what ended up happening was that we it wasn't working specifically on landscape because uh, there was a mixture of psychologist, architect and interior designer. But it was really about um, many different types of spatial settings, but always with that kind of question of how do you design to support uh, diverse interactions? Um, and there's just a kind of a, a quote that uh, kind of always go back to is Aristotle you know he talks about the city and the city is a place of of difference and that's how a city comes about it doesn't come about through sameness it's it's diversity but within that difference is complexity um, and a how do you kind of design for that and design so that you can bring in all these different diverse people and backgrounds and cultures into dialogue with one another so that's very long-winded because you know I could talk about lots of different projects but you know that was the base of the core of the interest and then for 10 years we really worked on designs and and explorations around those ideas. Yeah and I guess there was something you know um, there are other kind of um, architectural practices that integrate this kind of conversational element and and kind of really talking to people on the ground but that really became your kind of I guess modus operandum it's like people you be, the decorators became known 
for um, this interaction with the diverse communities. And I say communities um, very specifically because I think often, you know, I've heard like people talk about the community and it's just what what does that even mean? So these different communities on the ground and, and really trying to understand how people are interacting with the space that they are in already before you kind of go in and change that space. Well, I suppose, yeah, and, and it came just from just a, a deep curiosity. And I suppose that came from just us being a, from different backgrounds. So not being pure design, but, you know, bringing in the psychology element and, and the human element and, and, you know, you can design as much as you want, but actually if you don't think about the existing social dynamics and who's there and what are the cultures there and how do they currently interact and what, what can, you know, it's more about kind of an observation and a listening rather than kind of coming in with this idea that you can design and then the, you, you find solutions for things when often the design is actually just kind of carefully um, understanding what's there and also giving respect to the to the communities and the different people who live in a place um, and, and supporting what they might already be doing rather than kind of coming in designing something new or bringing in something new from somewhere else. And I suppose especially in a city like London, which is just the it's, it's rate of change is kind of accelerated. So, you know, ch- communities are just changing so fast, which can actually just be quite difficult for people who you know where most of us actually you know change we change at a kind of a slow enough pace but then when the world around you is changing faster and faster um and as you're getting older it can just become yeah it can become quite scary um and unsettling um so so a lot of our work was about just listening and giving voice to those that might not necessarily normally be part of the regeneration process that sounds so easy, is doesn't it? It's like, yeah, we, you know, uh, uh, it's just about listening and giving people a voice. But it's not as simple as it sounds, is it? That you've you've really got to kind of find ways to do that. Can you talk maybe some through some of the ways that you found to really, I guess, create that excuse uh, to enable conversations with people and and to give them that voice yeah I know and and that is the thing isn't it because you know say say for instance okay so the first question is you know who are you giving to voice and and like what right do we have as external practitioners people don't live in a place to go in and be the people who are the giving the voice you know but a large part of our work came as briefs you know we were asked to say okay who are the community here who lives here and how can regeneration be designed to kind of support and and celebrate what exists so I suppose it's always trying to find a tool that's respectful um and you know genuine curiosity from our side and and we just over the years developed different tools you know one of our first projects that actually wasn't given as a brief it was it was a self-initiated project and it was in London it was Ridley Road Market and we were given a space um by a kind of a colleague Zoe who had the space we'd worked with her trade college and so at that point there was there was no uh kind of question there was no brief it was more just us as practitioners going in and saying this is a place that's going under extreme regeneration what role do we have in that process we live here too and you know we went on to really road market and 
you know, did a conversations listening over a couple of months over a summer. And one of the traders said to us, you know, if, if you want to do anything here, you know, you buy or you sell, like you trade. And so in considering that, we're like, well, what is our medium of exchange? And our medium exchange was design and being able to kind of, you know, make a project happen. And that's how it evolved into the idea of a restaurant. And in a restaurant, there's exchange, lots of different exchanges happening. And, and the word commensality came into our practice as well, which was this exchange around food and the dining table. And so just kind of a long-winded answer to your question again, that like actually the tools evolved through just exploring and listening. And, and the tool in that instance was let's set up a number of different dinner parties and let's invite a range of different people. And, you know, that became a way to do it, you know, to not just be going in with the clipboard and questions and just interviews. It was like, look, we're cooking a dinner. Would you like to come? Um, or actually, you know, we'd love to hear what your recipes are or actually can you sell us your produce? So there was lots of different groups of people that we ended up interacting with. There was the traders, the customers, um, the people that we built the structure with that, that were around the market. We had lots of different ex ways. We, we got the electricity from a shop next door. We got the water from the Hackney watermen. Um, and this all happened through kind of an informal process. We were so young and it was our first project in, in city public realm that, that we just used ourselves as kind of taking each day as it comes. And then through that process, lots of, um, interactions and relationships built and I suppose what we learned from that was the value of that of just getting into a space doing things building things making things happen but also trying to be true to what you can give to the situation so not trying to you know d do something that you're not familiar with um, and then so our tools evolved and, and we started using audio and it was always about curiosity exploring uh, a lot about storytelling you know what stories do people want to share and that's that's uh the the most human basic activity people have stories to share so if you ask and you want to know people will converse and and that's a pleasure for anyone to hear you know that it's the hu it's just a, something humanly pleasurable about sharing our stories collectively so yeah so it was food it was audio um, and they were two tools that we've used many times over the years in, in different forms with our projects. Yeah, and specifically um, with audio, there's it was kind of creating a radio environment. So with um, I think the first time you did that was with Chris Street on Air, which is when I met you, using a kind of mobile radio structure as a really great excuse and, I guess, prop um to to get people into conversations that they might not normally have and with people that they might not normally talk to and i have to say that being involved in that project was something that really got me thinking about this kind of you know how, how to use audio and and how to create that kind of prop to to get people talking it was incredibly powerful um just having having that radio stall um can you talk through um that project because i think that was a really great example of of kind of creating an environment where people felt at ease to talk freely but they were also being broadcast and they were also being listened to but there was something you know there's something about that dynamic 
that really created some incredibly interesting conversations about place. Yeah, so that project idea evolved. So we were invited following Ridley's to look at Crisp Street Market on behalf of Terra Hamlets and um, the mayor's office because they were regenerating the market or looking to regenerate it. So we were invited to respond to that context. And, you know, I suppose people probably thought, oh, we'll do another restaurant because that was so successful. But we went and spent time there and there was this clock tower at, in the market. And it just kind of called to us quite quickly, this idea of kind of a broadcast, an audio, a listening space. So we went to the top of the clock tower and we decided, OK, let's look around here and let's choose nine points and so that was the starting of it. It's like, okay, let's do nine audio broadcasts. So it's, and we'll go to each of those locations um, around the market. Uh, so it was like a housing estate. There was a boxing place. There was uh, two two housing estates and at a few different locations actually on the market as well. And we did short podcasts from those areas to so interviewing people, listening to what the sounds were. Um, but then we kind of wanted to have something that was a bit more informal and open as well so we set up a radio station just beside the market and the idea was that as a kind of a calling card to invite people in to speak to us and yeah as you said it was about this prop it was about this trojan horse it's like you know it's 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 that invitation to talk and there's something about the radio in in the imagination i think always of this just democratic um space for for sharing of of stories and narratives and People have that just embedded in them over time. So the radio was quite successful in that way, because if we wanted to kind of say, OK, we want to explore what's happening with this group or this person, we just invited them to join a show. And so we then designed the stage, the framework around these radio shows. So we had our podcasts and so we invited people to take part in them. We had this structure, this radio that actually was called a mobile radio station. And that was borrowing, again, from the market infrastructure. So it, it it was housed within the shop, but then it could be rolled out into the market. So we had this kind of more informal element to it. And it was just a lot of fun. You know, there's something which I'm sure you're familiar with that some people put on the earphones, there's the, the microphone in front of you, and there's a performance element that people step into. And there's a kind of an, an intimacy as well between the person who's doing the interview and the interviewee. Um, and things kind of unfold in, in just a kind of a really interesting way. And there's a space around it as well. There's, there's just a, a kind of a, a warmth, I suppose, about the radio interview and the radio conversation. And so that just worked very well. And I suppose, Lucia, that's why we ended up working together a lot, because we're like, we had this radio table. We found it to be always successful as a way to have good conversations, always enjoyable as well. Like I just enjoyed the process. Um, and then we just brought that radio table to lots of different environments and we called it the mobile radio station. And um, it was the idea was about bringing conversation about a public space in that public space. So kind of talking again about d- democratization of space. So who is the space for? And a lot of the times uh, thinking about who was designing it, or who was paying for it, who was developing it. They were having their meetings up in a building, eight floors up. Um, far away from the actual space, just using drawings. And it, this tool was about, say, the physicality of being together in space with people that you might not normally talk with and, and really trying to uh, explore that as well. That There's a quote somewhere that, you know, public spaces, I think it was saying it earlier on, it's about difference. And, and difference is what brings about community. And I think we wanted to use that 
table to to bring voice to that. And actually, I actually had the radio table here in Dublin. So we're going to explore that in Dublin as well, because uh, we moved studio recently and it just made sense that uh, I could bring it back here. Um, so it's so it's still living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a really good place to because we've introduced um, the the radio table, this prop. And you talked about um, the beginnings at Ridley Road Market. So I've actually got a clip here using that kind of radio on air live stage structure um, to initiate some some conversations about some of your past projects. So um, this is a clip from the conversation that you had around Ridley Road. And this was what, five years later or six years later, maybe after the project. So just kind of reflecting on that. So we hear um, Tim Waterman um, talking about, I guess, the relationship between food and space and and why that's uh, important. So tonight, Tim Waterman is joining us as a co-interviewer. He is a landscape and food theorist who writes for a wide range of professional and academic publications on the subject of power, democracy, taste, food ways and everyday life. So Tim, delighted you can join us. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your interest in the subject? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So uh, people often, when I say that I'm interested in taste and landscape and food and landscape, they, they, they think I'm just talking about allotments. But actually landscapes are the places that we live that shape us and that we in turn shape them. And food is one of the really fundamental parts of that relationship that um, we construct our environment and, and, and conduct our relations with other people based around our relations in food and in landscapes. So, so I'm interested in all of those interconnections and how they create the spaces that we live in in cities. That was a, a project that we did with the Architecture Festival, London Festival of Architecture, and we were invited to do something in uh, around that. So we decided to look back on some of the projects we did and really to have a think about just a, a kind of create really what what were we trying to do and what were the kind of things that evolved following that. So this was a conversation with them um, that I invited one of the chefs, but also Tim Warnerman and his as he said in his clip there, his background um, or his research is all about looking at these kind of relationships between food, landscape and and people um, and kind of the dynamics of that and the relationship as well between the the urban and the rural. Something that, you know, that this connection between food and, and, and just sitting down together to eat has been also really key in... Um, the work that you've been doing as well hasn't it because I think there's something about that kind of levels things out as well getting a group of very diverse people who might not normally talk to each other to sit and share food together um, and have conversations was that inspired um, by Theodore Zeldin's um, conversation dinners is that is that has has that kind of been an inspiration for you? Well, I think he, he, the the food came before I kind of got into Theodore Zeldin, but I think Theodore Zeldin 
the broader kind of uh, a theoretical element to it. The audio, you know, the the study and the the ideas that he was developing kind of reinforced it. But I think com- commensality actually just came to us naturally as a tool. You know, it it just as probably to all humans, you know, that kind of breaking of bread, and then and then the kind of theorizing and the framing of it is what we did later. So, um, you know, that kind of eating in all cultures. I just have a quote here, you know, a social activity and commensality is undeniably one of the most important articulations of human society. And it's about commensality is about creating and reinforcing these social relationships. So there's identities being forged through that kind of sharing of food around the table. And I think at one point I was reading that, you know, that there's eating itself is sometimes quite a selfish act, but actually by the shared eating around a table, it becomes this kind of collective and it takes away the kind of social element or the selfishness and you become more of a collective. Um, and so I think that that was something that was always interesting that there's just certain behaviors that come into play when people are eating together. There's habits that people know what to do. So suddenly there's a comfort that so there's something that you're doing your hands, you're sitting down, you're using your body and the props of the food itself as well become these conversation starters. So there's so much there, you know, to, 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 to work with and to explore. And, and I think Ridley's itself, we just, there was just an innate understanding of that. And, and there was lots of things that we did that played with the, the normal habits of commensality at, at Ridley's where, we had a table that kind of rotated up and down like a dumb waiter, but it was actually a table. So the kitchen was on the ground floor and the dining experience was up on the first floor. And then up there, you know, because it was quite a windy environment, we had knives, forks, uh, glasses, all kind of within slots. So when people came and sat down at the table, there was a slight play with that. So there was kind of an opportunity to, to talk with your neighbours or the person sitting beside you or opposite you say, how do we do this? How do we collectively perform this? And that was before the food came. And then I think when the food comes, people know what to do. And um, yeah, it was all about trying to make people feel comfortable. Once people are comfortable and once they're relaxed, um, you know, that kind of, that it, it creates the right kind of environment for people to, to start talking. And you start talking to your neighbour and, and um, you know, and, and start, listening and asking questions because you're not you know yes you're focusing on the food but you're you're kind of in the right space to be able to um do that kind of more active listening and that curious kind of conversation that sometimes you know we we forget to do and I think creating the environment to do that is is part of the process you can't just plonk people down next to each other and say talk it doesn't work um, so I think the um, the mobile radio as a prop, you know, and and you say you sort of talking about the fact that it's a it's a, it becomes also a performance, and people kind of know somehow intrinsically how to behave as a once they're in that kind of radio space. And I think there's something similar when you're in a, a communal eating space. Um, you're not just gonna like look at your plate and and um eat in silence because you're you're also you know you've created an environment and props around people to to kind of initiate and inspire that act of conversation mm. well yeah and i well, i suppose even the element there of the, the question of silence like i think because you're eating there there is space for that silence like 
you know, sometimes if you're just kind of in front of someone with just having conversation, you know, sometimes we we just want to fill space with words when it's not might not be necessary. So that's why the commensality element adds to the comfort as well and that kind of familiarity. But I think we did, yeah, I think we did bring in other tools around it. So, you know, the the the, the idea of the question and then Theodore Zeldin as well. He um he was big into the 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 kind of the dinner party menu of questions and and that was an interesting one I can't, I can't remember that go, that goes back to another philosopher I've just the name escapes me at the moment but you know that idea of designing a set of questions to um curate or kind of uh choreograph a conversation over dinner is something that we began to use as well and also you know you would use it obviously within the radio setting as well you know what are the questions that you're asking um that that was and that that was always kind of a constant evolution of of trying to design those questions design the the various props that we were working with yeah and you know i think all of us you you can't just expect people just to know what to say you know we we all need a bit of help um to get that conversation going and and allowing it to kind of take whatever course it's going to go through but you know to to initiate that not all, all of us can start that chat at the bus stop we need a bit of 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 help around that and I think that's why those kind of conversation dinners that Theodore Zeldin is famous for of creating those um menus you know is is again it's like that prop to just to cut the chit chat basically yeah and go straight into something meaningful yeah um and interesting Mm. Uh, because otherwise we do get stuck in that kind of surface chit chat and it's very difficult to get past that unless you know you're you know there are some kinds of people that are very good at that and and they will go straight for you know the the really deep questions but I think most people need a little bit of help and guidance to get there but once they're there they're really interested Mm. so yeah no it is that thing of different personalities and designing for that because there is some people that will have no problem but it's this big range of introverts extroverts so that is the role as well as the host actually we haven't spoken about that a bit but I suppose our role a lot in this whole process was always being the host so it's the radio host the host of the dinner party and what does a good host do it it, it designs an environment to bring all these different ranges of people so thinking back to that idea of the quote of people of difference into relationship with each other and and to have a good time and that's where you have this kind of suite of tools whether it be the meal or the questions or the environment that that you use to 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 be a good host um and and to create a good party or event or conversation yeah and and a good host always introduces people in the right way um you know i i think that's often overlooked but there's something about you know, you've got these very different people from very different walks of life um, together in this moment. And there, you know, there's some inhibitions that will come in, there's sort of hierarchies, there's all sorts of things that might not enable a conversation to naturally happen. And as a host in any way, whether it be a radio host or a dinner party host, your job is to introduce people to each other in such a way that they feel comfortable to initiate a a conversation Um, so in whatever way you do it I think I think that's often kind of downplayed a little bit you know it's that 
here's so and so, and here's a point of interest, and here's so and so, and here's a po- their point of interest, and I'm going to bring you together somehow. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly, and and it's 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 a big job, <laughs> the the hosting. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's sometimes really nerve wracking and takes a lot of energy and. You know, sometimes you're in the flow and sometimes you're not. So it's a, there's an art in that as well. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, so I'm going to play a clip from Theodore Zeldin in, in a talk from the 5 by 15 series. What I want from life is to discover life, to know what life is. And that means getting to know as many people as possible, each of whom sees life in a different way and has experienced life in a different way. And I can only see what I see, my idea of what life is, and each one of you sees something different. And therefore I am almost blind, and I'm searching to see what there is in life. And being, having suffered the, the, uh, you know, being so-called educated, I, uh, I have developed curiosity. And curiosity in the past was considered something dangerous, and you'll find many authorities in the past saying, mind your own business. Curiosity means I want to know what each one of you is thinking. And what goes on in the head of other people is to me the big mystery of our time. This kind of meeting is the opposite of the kind of meeting I really like. (laughs) Which is to talk one-to-one with one person. And this is um, quite difficult. And I'll tell you an example of it, which has relevance to our present, uh, the news of of the recent uh, weeks. I was uh, talking to one of the most senior ayatollahs in Iran, and for one hour, He screamed at me, insulting the West, saying how awful it was and how America was terrible and Britain and so on and on and on and on. And at the end of it, he embraced me and he smiled and he said to me, I'd like to come back again. (laughs) And I said, why? And he said, because you listened to me. And I was indeed interested. And he added something quite interesting. He said, in sheer thought, um, the opinion of each person counts. And there we had something which we could agree on. But it was mainly the fact that instead of shouting back at him, I was interested by what he had to say. But it's not enough to say we want to be listened to. We want to be appreciated. We want to be recognized as individuals and as unique individuals. And it's no good saying that you are just one example of the human race. Um, So I um, feel that we have now got, as an alternative to joining political parties and uh, all that, um, we have an alternative of talking to one another and trying to understand one another and giving to each person a sense that they are being understood and that they are a unique person. And once you have a world composed of unique persons, you have a totally different idea of what it is possible to do. And this means that though everybody may feel powerless, they're not powerless to talk one-to-one. So 
what why did you pick this section in particular what what resonated with you I think it just kind of sums up his thinking really around that and and it it resonates that kind of just reminder as well you know I think for all of us you hear something like this like you you know that to engage with difference is is something that's powerful and inspiring but sometimes you just need to be reminded of of the power of of difference and the power of yeah just kind of letting your curiosity go like yeah as we say you know today as in you know there's so much conflict around the world and especially they talk about globalization that the more globalized we are the more actually there is issues with with uh, racism and um discrimination um and that's because there's people are feeling threatened they're feeling threatened by difference but when you get into conversation with another human being on a one to one the the individual story is there in front of you it's not a stereotype it's it's that person's identity and that person's story and you can only get that through the one to one and it's it's an uplifting and powerful i'm i'm sure you get it all the time you know when you're having just a conversation where you're just learning about someone who's just got a completely different experience than you um and it just there's an energy in it you know so there's obviously something human about that there's something human about um about actually making a relationship with someone who's different than you it's actually probably more human to do that than actually to think of yourselves as different so so i suppose there's just a lot there that the kind of it's it's a reminder but then it's also kind of what we were trying to do with the decorators and um his ideas are just just real you know it's just quite simple <laughs> you also put a lot of emphasis on those one to one interviews in different places that you went to as part of the decorators um in the kind of research process but those interviews were not just about research they were about building trust and building relationships and taking the time to really get to know people and understand where they were coming from and sometimes people had quite probably conflicting views to to your own and 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 very kind of you know I remember like um doing some of those interviews and you're just like I can't believe what this person is saying sometimes, but just giving people the space to speak and be listened to and just sit back and go, okay, I might not think in the same way as you. I might not agree with everything you're saying, but I'm not here to kind of, for a debate, I'm here to just listen to those views and understand where you're coming from and, and, and give context to some of those opinions and views that you know might go against everything I believe in and but that doesn't matter because i'm i'm i just want to try and understand what those opinions are about and 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 how that can kind of become part of uh the bigger picture i guess you know when you're you're creating a spa- a, a new space for people or you're kind of thinking about public realm and all, all these different communities that are rubbing alongside together you kind of have to l- listen to those different perspectives and really try and understand them Yeah, no exactly and and it's amazing on an individual basis. It's it's a practice as well. Um you know a term that's kind of become uh popular in the last few years the unconscious bias or that that research that's come out that's made it very clear that like you know we're tribal. We we are 
um, it's human to see difference and to kind of then say, oh, difference is the other. But actually, there's another layer to being human as well, which is which is above that. It's we have awareness, we've got consciousness, and that's probably a more base thing, which is about survival and fear. And so I suppose seeing the difference and seeing it as a, a negative thing happens when you fear but actually we're evolving beyond that we're able to listen and explore and push beyond that unconscious bias and the only way you do that is you learn about a person you spend time with them you make a relationship with that person and and I suppose even the forces of regeneration as well you know there, there are a certain kind of class of people a certain financial backing so it can be very threatening to communities that that are existing and they feel that actually they're kind of their territory has been taken over. Um, so a lot of our role, I suppose, was about a bit of mediation and, and uh, as I said before, giving voice and, and the importance of that because, you know, just being listened to and just being given voice to, you know, you, you can people can soften. Um, and then the better conversations can start to happen about, well, how can we work with you to actually make this a better place for your future? So it's not just about the new residents that are coming in. Um, so a lot of our work actually kind of, you know, I realized later because it was around the kind of some principles of coaching, um, and community coaching. So there was an element that we were doing that informally, but actually I, I did a coaching course last year and it's kind of started to realize, wow, that that's, that was what we were doing sometimes. Um, we were helping people kind of find their voice, find their, their story, find their narrative by just giving space to it. Yeah. And we've spoken about the one-on-one, but then there's also this other kind of way of creating a space for conversation and listening, which is as a group. So encouraging people to listen to each other um, and kind of, I don't like the word facilitation, but enable, let's say, uh, a conversation around a place or or a concept that, that people um, don't necessarily, you know, they might all have something in common i.e they live in the same place but they might not necessarily have the same experience of that place um so i think um you shared with me um so someone who's been kind of thinking about that through storytelling um is a a woman called um babette buster who i actually hadn't come across before but um resonates uh with the work I do so she wrote a book called the art of listening um and she's a professor of digital storytelling at um Northwestern University in the U.S. and she talks about this kind of group listening experience almost like um you know I guess they do it a lot in therapy right it's that kind of group where everyone gets a chance to say their piece and everyone listens. Um, so it's a similar idea, but just without the clapping. So I thought that was really interesting. And it kind of links to um, some work you did in Dublin uh, called Public Age. Do you want to just talk us through that? Because I think that was a really good example of, of that coaching in a way and creating that kind of group speaking and listening experience. Yeah, so Public Age was a project that we did about, I think it was two years ago now, and it was around Dublin, and it was about, the question was really about how does the built environment support you as you age? So as you move into your later years, um, how is public space designed with the older person in mind? 
and it was a research project so we designed um a kind of a mobile conversation space that we could move to different locations four different locations around dublin and then we invited um a range of different people to join that conversation and i think it was very important to us it was that intergenerational that like you know, when you think about age, it's, you know, that kind of word of old, we are kind of are more interested in older so that there's just differences in ages for different people and people are different spaces in their life. So it's not that you're 60 and that all 60 year olds are similar. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just that like you have an age, you're getting older and you have a relationship to people who are younger, but, um, it's not redefined. So what this conversation was, was about just trying to bring different groups of people together and we had a set of, set of questions that drove the conversation and it was about collectively figuring out answers to that question and so we gave uh, 60 minutes to the to this conversation i was the host so that that was a role of trying to understand the 20 people that joined the conversation and we phased it as well so it was really about letting people talk in small groups so we used that set of questions to speak in two groups of two or three then we brought the conversation to the group and then we did some interviews afterwards so there's something about figuring out the words that you want to use that if you ask people the same question over and over again there's kind of an evolution of that and then through the group as well you start to get better understanding of what you think and then but this isn't the first project that you did around older people um and the environment they live in because you did something called the hackney circle yeah so that was an invitation for lucy mcmenehy in hackney um council and she invited us to uh the question really was like how do you include the older people of hackney within the changing kind of cultural landscape and how do you uh, bring value to their contribution to that rather than change happening to them so that was a long process of two years of, of research um, and there was a central square that we were invited to respond to and potentially design some new furniture to make it more comfortable um, I suppose what we realized was that it wasn't about furniture it was about the social relationships so we built up a network of different businesses um, around the, the Dalton Square in Hackney and it, it, it became about a, a community network of those businesses that uh, each business had a host and they did certain events and certain um, vouchers and stuff to invite the older residents into their businesses because these businesses a lot of them were new and they potentially had a um, a narrative of kind of being just for younger people in terms of their branding. So it was really about saying, no, this is for a wider group of people. And um, the Hackney Circle became a bit of a nudge framework to, to get the older residents to take part in these activities. So initially we did a six weeks events launch program, but actually Lucy used the Hackney Circle as a, as a network for many years afterwards, I'm not too sure if she's still using it, but uh, five or six years afterwards, it was still in use and lots of different relationships built up around that hackney, the hackney circle. And I suppose just thinking about the title of the circle and actually that was similar with the public age, you know, the circle is this powerful tool that, that humans have used, you know, since day dot as, as a way to come up together and have collective meetings. And there's something quite strong in that circle so that, you know, whatever group of people you have, that they're sitting around and they can all see each other. Um, and it supports a kind of a democratic uh, dialogue as well. So this, again, is from that um, 
series of broadcasts from the architecture festival of architecture and looking back on the hackney circle but the people that you're here were all involved and they and they came to kind of talk about their experience of it and it's just again like we hit we'll hear some very different voices in different ages so um, I think it's a very good example of 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 that bringing people together around a table well um, I've lived in Acne almost 50 years you know um, coming from Africa uh, I've seen a lot of changes in 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 Dalston area and around um, Clapton Pond where I live and it's all been for good especially the railway that connects East London with um, South like going to Lewisham used to be so tedious you know you have to take train and buses but now it's you can just go through so the, that connection has been so good. And I like the open spaces like um, the Gillette Square, which in, in summertime is just like being in Europe, like France, when I sit at the steps of Security Call and just listen to music. We, we've got that. It's been transported to this way. It's, it's just so much fun. Malik, maybe you just tell us your relationship quickly to the, the, the Hackney area. <laughs> Hi there. Um, so, yes, I, I've grown up in Hackney as well. Um, since we emigrated, so when we migrated my family when I was four, so 28 years ago, and I went to, basically from nursery age, I went to um, nursery on Balls Pond Road and um, primary school behind Ridley Road Market, grew, grew up there, and then set up a business in Dawson Square. So I went from basically you know, being part of old school Hackney to then you know, being a business in, uh, owner during this regeneration time. So there's a lot of interesting things and observations that... Um, I look forward to making. Great. <laughs> and Stephen? Oh, yeah. I was born in Shoreditch. I still live in Shoreditch. <laughs> and my heart's in Shoreditch. <laughs> I don't like Hackney Council, anyway. But, or lots of reasons. <laughs> but what I've noticed is it's the, um, the taking away of the communications, like communication hub, like the pub. You know, people would meet there. You could find out stuff. You could, you know, if anyone wants to borrow a ladder, you ask a landlord. You can't do that now. So the communications is gone. The work's gone, and it's a blight on the working class. There's no work anymore. And even to having a row in the street, people shuffle the curtains or put a glass to the wall, maybe. You don't have to do that now. You can just watch EastEnders. And is that real life? Wow. Yeah. It's a bit upsetting. But I've seen Shoreditch change. I say a lot to the best. The railway, I'll agree with the previous speakers, the railway definitely changed. Yes. The the East London line, it's brilliant. It's clean, it's air-conditioned, and you don't get the finger lickers, you know, so... What, what's the finger licker? Well, finger lickers, with... It's the amount... The thing that I don't like about Hackney is the amount of fast food shops. Like, people have forgotten how to cook, or they've moved into the area, and they've moved into someone's kitchen, they're paying £200 a week, and they haven't got a fridge or a kettle. And they get up in the morning and rush out in their dressing gowns and their beards and their slippers down to the market, get their coffee and come back like they've won the pools. Like, look what I've got, you know, and you can see them every day. So that was a clip 
from a conversation about the Hackney Circle, which connected a lot of people and brought them together, and that's still going. So I think something that we haven't talked about um, is I guess there's a... It's happening a lot more, but something that, you know, I've been looking at quite closely in, in the kind of radio and audio world, and especially with podcasting at the moment, is this space for long-form conversation um, and often and, and also the space for conversation and we spoke about this a little bit earlier for people who don't necessarily agree with each other and that's okay you know you don't have to agree with the person that you're talking to to be genuinely interested and curious about what they have to say so I think someone who's been doing this for a long time and has been quite I think influential in this kind of I wouldn't say it's new but there's definitely a trend towards this kind of longer form conversation and very exploratory kind of conversation is um, uh, Krista Tippett's podcast on being where um, for those who aren't familiar with the format it's really her taking someone on a long journey through a conversation um, often people who are expert in a specific field or, or been kind of immersed in a specific world for a long time and she takes them on quite a philosophical conversation why um so you selected um Krista Tippett has been quite influential what what is it about that kind of format and those kind of conversations that has inspired you or, or have, what have you learned from these types of conversational podcasts? Yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot over the years that Richard, uh, that I've listened to with Krista Tippett. There's just been, I think there's a richness of, of diversity of people that she speaks to. And so you just get these deep perspectives of many different types of identities and experiences. And there's a, there's a hope as well within them. You know, there's this always, uh, it's a new way of thinking of spirituality. I suppose, uh, on being stems from kind of a, an element a bit, it was a bit more kind of religious focused, I think, when it was beginning. Um, but now that kind of is, is probably underpins it, but it isn't so explicit. Um, so it's, it's, so I suppose there's, a, there's an element of spiritual exploration. So, you know, you listen to the conversations, you just feel uplifted because you, you've really kind of got under the skin of someone and their ideas. Um, and then that kind of, as, as anything happens, when you get inspired, it kind of merges then into your own identity and you bring that thinking forward. Um, and it's not just sound bites as well. There's that long form. A lot of the times I'd listen to the unedited version. You, you're just kind of, it's, it's, I just, someone referred to podcasts, but like the podcast hug, you're just really learning, you know, and, and the joy of learning and curiosity of the world and, and it's broadcast from America and there's an interest in, in American culture. You know, there's, there's a kind of a perceived culture that kind of comes through the mainstream media in America, but this, the on being just presents something different. So that's kind of an interesting one. I find as well, this kind of juxtaposition of, uh, so much amazing content coming out of, from America, uh, rich, intellectual, thought provoking, um, non-discriminatory, but then the mainstream media, which is probably just mostly Trump or whatever, just completely different. <laughs> so it just brings a new story. So we're going to play a clip from On Being. 
so it's a conversation with an academic called Lindsay Stonebridge and they're discussing um, some concepts um, from the philosopher Hannah Arendt and and I guess they're trying to I guess think about it in today's terms it just makes complete sense right now um, because we're recording this in the middle of our kind of corona crisis and we're becoming so obsessed with facts at the moment you know statistics and facts and so what they're talking about is you know that we get bogged down in this these informational soundbite facts all the time and actually if you if you get into kind of deeper conversation you can understand so much more about the context of of what's going on for Arendt I think why the idea of thinking and speaking as a form of action are important to her is that what she's saying there is, I mean, you can throw enough facts, you can throw all the facts you like at people and they will not stick. And we had this um, in, in the UK, and I know you have too, that it's, you know, okay, against the, against the um, false news, we'll have a fact finding and we'll tell you, yeah. and we'll have a team of researchers and you just have to look on our website and we'll tell you which of those are lies. And you can scream facts at people till you're blue in the face. And a lot of, you know, colleagues in universities and journalists have been doing exactly that very hard, you know, working tirelessly, and it's not making any difference. And I think what she's talking about there is the ability um, through thinking and communal discourse to make truth meaningful in the world. It has to happen between people, you know? right? <laughs> Which is not saying we just make up our own reality. She's not saying that. It means that it. You know, this is why when she says know, testimony, it needs it needs testimony. testimony. It needs testimony. experience. It needs he needs yeah. human experience yeah. around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think she, she that was why testimony was important to her. It's why history and um, the sense of, um, of myth were all important to her because it's what makes truth meaningful to people together in a community. It neatly summarises everything we've been talking about, I think. Um, so this kind of need for not just the facts also for storytelling, also for conversation to really, truly understand, you know, the context of what's going on. And I think now more than ever, um, that's needed. Well, exactly. I think it's, yeah, it's it's that back to thing of like, how do we, how do we really hear <laughs> is, is when there's kind of a story and a personal perspective involved. And that can only really happen mostly through the through the form of dialogue. You know, that's how humans have evolved and and grown in our consciousness is is this constant exchange of of stories. And there was something actually which there was uh, I didn't have any audio pieces, but um, Ursula Le Guin uh, she talks about you know words are events; they do things; they change us. So this real kind of idea of, of the fabric of, of humanity changing just one conversation at a time um, through that act of listening, you know, that, 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 that there's hearing and that there's a response. You know, it happens in music. It happens in, in, in improvisation. And so I suppose good conversation is, is just an improvisation. Yeah, and actually Richard Sennett talks a lot about this and thinking of bringing it back to kind of a spatial perspective. So Richard Sennett, is this, uh, he's a, a theorist, a researcher just on, on the public realm about cities and, and relationships. And, and, you know, he talks a lot about dialogue and, and the informality and 
improvisation and so all of these kind of things come into play to make a city happen and that that conversation element is is kind of at the core yeah I think improvisation is a nice word that conversation should be improvised right there's there's in order for improvisation to work you need the rules and the structure in place for that to work but once those are in place and you just allow things to go in whatever direction they want to go in. That's when you get the interesting stuff, right? Yeah, and I suppose there's an element to that as well. You know, that, that if you think about music, that the, the musicians have a, a certain um, skill. So the, I do think that that comes into conversation as well. You know, there's skillful conversation, which is is the hab of the ability to listen carefully to kind of to kind of respond as well that you know that comes with time you know and it comes from certain training as well and there's a lot of training out there if that's the right word that's not that's just about ego and individual and shouting your point and winning the argument um but I think that's you know historically humans that that's what we weren't we weren't about that we we evolved through through good dialogues um so we've reached the end of our okay. conversation i think and so i just want to hear about what, what you're doing now i mean you're in dublin now yeah um, so moved i moved there. there had a young daughter so you know the changes happened where i want to be back with family but the, a good opportunity came to work with dublin city council um so i'm working as a landscape architect there and very much continuing the methodology of conversation and dialogue to, to figure out um i i'm designing parks so the question is well, how should a park be designed and so uh, i've been and uh, designing a strategy within a certain area of dublin and so to do that we had lots of conversations dialogues explorations um and then following that you do designs but yeah it's it's continuing the practice and, and with the decorators we're continuing to work on small projects where possible. Um, Venice Biennale was upcoming, hopefully is upcoming in August. And so uh, there's an exhibition there. So that's exploring the role of the, the pub. Um, and there's a wider team involved in that with the British Pavilion. Um, but yeah, trying to work with the decorators where possible and, and they're continuing on projects as well. Um, but I'm very much based here now in Dublin on a more permanent basis. Suzanne O'Connell, thank you so much for talking Good. to me. Um, yeah, I, I hope this is the kind of beginning of more conversations on conversations. But I think it was a great place to start because we've worked together and we've kind of both been exploring this in our own way. But I think that, you know, your projects started me thinking um, on this path. Great. Well, thanks very much for making me synthesize our thinking for the last 10 years. <laughs> That's great. I'm Lucia Skadzokyo. You've been listening to Transmitter from Social Broadcasts. All the details of what you've heard will be available on the Transmitter tab of socialbroadcasts.co.uk where you can also subscribe to our newsletter and catch up on previous episodes. I'll be back with more conversations about the art of conversation in June. And if you have any comments or recommendations, please do drop me a line via the website. Until next time, happy listening.